Space Shuttle, this is Flight Safety. This episode contains brief mentions of violence and sexual assault. If you are sensitive to these topics, please practice self-care and proceed with caution. Keep your hands and arms inside the vehicle while in motion. You are clear for launch. The following paragraphs are from a fanfiction titled Warm, part of the Fatherhood Verse series by today's guest fanfiction writer, Autistic Writer. Two hours after going to bed, George rolls over on his bedroll, exhausted but unable to sleep. Eventually, he gives up, pulling on his boots and jacket over his union suit and crawling out of his tent. George knows that Papa is usually awake in the night, so there will be someone up for him to talk to. Indeed, squinting through the darkness, George spots a familiar shape sat by the campfire. Yawning, he wanders across camp, approaching his father. Mindful of making Micah jump, Papa once hit Sean for coming up behind him. His reflexes kick in. George decides to get his attention from a distance as he whispers, Hi, Papa. Micah looks up, glancing at him. He meets George's eyes, a simple action that he never used to do, and acknowledges George with a nod. When George sits on the log beside his father, Michael tilts his head, putting his knife away. Can't sleep, George, he says, and George will never stop loving whenever Micah uses his name. No, I can't, George whispers, wrapping his arms around himself. Even with his jacket on, nighttime air cuts through him and he shivers. You neither? It'd be rare if I could sleep, kid, Micah says, chuckling. But yeah, welcome to the Insomnia Club. George tries to giggle, but another shiver runs through him. This time, Micah notices, eyebrows raised. You cold? Um, yeah, George says, but just a little. Oh, really, he says, unconvinced. Micah sighs, staring down at his shivering son. He rolls his eyes, but unbuttons his short leather coat, tugging it off. Here, put this on and quit that shivering. And as George sits there, stunned, Micah wraps the coat around George's shoulders like a blanket. The heavy coat drowns George in leather, surrounding him with warmth of Papa's body heat. Tugging the coat around him, George's hands strip the soft lining, inhaling the scent of gun oil, tobacco, sweat, and baylock. Micah never lets anyone touch his coat, so to know his father voluntarily put it on George makes him feel loved. And Micah has never told George he loves him in words, but actions like this show him that Papa has grown to love him. Warm and comfortable, George grins, wriggling closer to Micah. He leans against Papa's side, so ridiculously happy, just because Micah Bell put his leather coat around his shoulders. He isn't cold anymore, just happy to sit so close to Micah. Still cold, huh? Micah says. He sighs, but moves his arm, letting it slip around George's shoulders. Fine, here you go, he mutters, playfully exaggerating his exasperation, his hand stroking George's arm through his own jacket. But they both know George didn't snuggle into him for warmth, instead wanting his papa's arms around him. They sit in comfortable silence for what feels like hours, until George's eyelids start drooping and his head leans against Micah's chest. He finally falls asleep in papa's arms, listening to his father's heartbeat.
To the north, south, east, and west, four corners of the world. Greetings from the wild, arid desert of the American Southwest. I'm your host, Chaos Blue, and this is the Fanfic Maverick Podcast. A couple things before we get started today, folks. First, a lot of you have reached out about coming on the show, which is amazing. So far as I know, I've responded to every message, and a lot of you are officially scheduled in, which is perfect. But some of you have not emailed me back. So if you forgot to message me back and you still want to come on the podcast, just shoot me an email and we will make it happen. Okay? Second thing. A quick shout out to someone very important to me. Chief, if you're out there and you're listening, I love you, man. All right. Today's guest fan fiction writer is Autistic Writer. They've been a member of AO3 since 2016, and they have 2,000 works currently posted up on the site, which is officially the highest work count that we have ever had on the podcast. Hell yeah. With that many fics posted, it is impossible for me to name all the fandoms involved, so I'll just say that 200 of those works are Red Dead Redemption related because that is the fandom that we're talking about today. When Autistic Writer isn't writing, they love to play video games and spend time with their cat. Autistic Writer, thank you so much for being on the show today. How you doing? I'm doing okay, thank you. Oh, wonderful. I'm so glad that you're here today. We're going to have a great time talking about fan fiction. Tell us a little bit about your history with fan fiction. How long have you been reading fan fiction? And do you remember how you first discovered it? The first time I read fan fiction, I was 11. I stumbled across it by accident. I was looking up Sherlock, the BBC TV show, and I found fanfiction.net by accident. And I discovered that there were thousands upon thousands of people who write stories about characters, which was fascinating. I remember the day that I first found FFN, and it sort of blew my mind a little bit that there was a place you could go on the Internet where there were thousands of stories that people wrote. Do you remember being really surprised when you came across that? It was very weird because... I actually wrote fan fiction when I was very young without realizing it was a thing other people did. Wow, no kidding. Did you do that by hand in notebooks and things like that? Yeah, I found some of it when I was going through my stuff. When we moved house, was a notebook from when I was six and I was writing stories about a British cartoon series that my sister really liked when we were little called Charlie and Lola. Oh, that is so, so cool. So nobody really had to teach you what fan fiction was. You already knew. Yeah. (laughs) Do you remember ever sharing those stories with other people? I think the only other person was my mum. She read everything I wrote that I showed her, whether it was homework or original stories or all those fan fictions when I was very young. She always said that I was a good writer. I'm so glad that she was supportive of that because you are a good writer. So that's so cool that she was supportive of that. And look at you now, 2,000 works posted up on AO3. Hot damn. Yeah, I posted one this afternoon and it hit 2,000 and I was like, fucking hell. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's amazing and quite an accomplishment. Like I said, that's the highest I've ever seen. 
I've been reading fan fiction for 25 years, and that's the highest I've ever seen. So congratulations on that milestone. That's amazing. Thank you. (laughs) Of course. Of course. Now, I want to know a little bit about your first experiences with fandom, because, you know, sometimes reading fan fiction and discovering it online is a little bit different than experiencing fandom communities and things like that. So I'm wondering about what your first experience with online fandom was like. I stuck to myself a lot. I started posting online at 13, but I didn't really interact with fandom until I was 16 and uh, joined Tumblr. And that's when I met people in a different setting to just the comment section on fanfiction.net. Well, that's awesome because um, on Tumblr, you can meet people that way and you can find a community of people who all like the same thing that you like, and they get excited about the same things that you get excited about. And that can be really fun. It sounds like maybe you made some friends there on Tumblr. Yeah, it was um, the first time I joined Tumblr didn't go very well. I got harassed and I quit. But um, I joined again when I was about 19, and I've had that one since. And I made several friends that way. That's so good. I'm so glad. Now, when you joined again at 19, was that for Red Dead Redemption or were you in other fandoms at that point? That was ages ago. I only started playing Red Dead when I was 21, I think. So, like, two years. Two years is still a lot longer than I've known anything about Red Dead. So, your age is ahead of me as far as what you know about the game and the characters. So, I'm really looking forward to uh, hearing your perspective and your thoughts here on Red Dead and some of the characters here, because it's fascinating. But I am curious about your thoughts about fan fiction as a whole. And I want to know, from your perspective, what are your favorite things about fan fiction, and what makes fan fiction unique and compelling for you? I um, find fan fiction really fun. I struggle with world-building and making up names of places and characters and things. Um, which makes original fiction a real slog sometimes. So um, fan fiction lets, lets me tell stories without having to worry about all that because all those things already exist. Yes, I love that point. I do, because you're right. I think that fan fiction lets a lot of people write who wouldn't otherwise be writers. Because you're right, sometimes that original fiction stuff is very challenging for people because you kind of have to start completely from square one, from scratch. And people struggle with that. I struggle with that a lot, you know. So it can be really comforting to be able to come into an established canon with characters who already have names and backgrounds and a universe, a world that already has its rules and its locations. And then you can just kind of take it and go from there and be really creative inside that sandbox that already exists. Yeah, it's great. It's also very helpful for me because I've got ADHD. I have real issues focusing and fan fiction helps me. I don't have to spend all of my energy on making up worlds and and stuff again. So I can just get into the the meat of actually the the writing process straight away. Yes, it actually is the thing that helps you focus on that writing process and on the story so you can just focus on the creative bits that are meaningful to you. Yeah. I like that. 
that is something that's really cool about fan fiction. There's so many different things that are super cool about fan fiction, but that's definitely one. Speaking of that, you let me know that you're an autistic fan fiction writer, which is super awesome. Tell us a little bit about that. What are some things that you want us to know about that? Well, autism is a spectrum, so everybody acts different. But for me, my biggest problems is um, picking up on other people's um, social cues, which means in writing especially, I really struggle to tell if people are being sarcastic or joking, which makes me think I come across as boring uh, in text because I'm not sure I can't tell what's real or what's not. So if people know I'm autistic, they tend to explain things better, which makes it easier for me to fit in. Well, that makes a lot of sense. Do you find that it's easier for you to communicate in writing? For me, writing, yeah. As you may have noticed, I stammer quite badly when I'm talking to people, but I don't have that problem in text. And that's why I ask, because, you know, I've talked to so many people who tell me, you know, I struggle so much with talking to people face to face, verbally. But when I'm writing, that's when I feel free. That's when I feel like I can really communicate what's in my mind and in my heart. So I was just wondering if that was the case for you, too. Oh, yeah, definitely. I can get my thoughts out so much easier writing it down. That's awesome. Well, I really enjoyed reading your fan fictions in preparation for this episode here. You know, speaking of struggling with speaking with people, which is something that I can completely relate to. You know, I, I've had issues with anxiety when I was younger and talking to other people was a real challenge for me for a really long time. So you struggle with speaking with people and yet you chose to come on the podcast anyway and talk to me today, even if it feels a little scary, which I think is so cool and so brave of you. So I want to give you kudos for that, first of all. I think a lot of us in fandom struggle with things like that. We struggle with things that we find scary. A lot of us are introverts, right? We have trouble sometimes making new friends. Sometimes we get afraid to participate in fandom events or we get scared to post a, a new fic or even just write a new fic. I was wondering if you have any advice for those of us out here in fandom who struggle to do scary things. In terms of writing, if you're worried about what people would think about your story, you don't ever have to post it or you, you can share it with people you only want to see it. And if you then one day decide that you do want to post it, that's okay. But you don't have to go into it expecting yourself to post it on the internet, which can help if you're worried about that. Ooh, I like that point. I like that a lot. It sounds like what you're saying is that we can participate in fandom on our own terms. And it doesn't necessarily mean that we have to interact if we don't want to, that we can just have our own experience and that's okay. Yeah, exactly. I love that. And that's a good reminder that even if it's scary um, for us to do certain things, that we can still try anyway. You know, I just think it's so cool that you decided to do something that scares you. I really want to know what made you decide that you wanted to do this today anyway, even though it's scary? Well, first of all, I found out about your podcast because I listened to Which Still on Rocky Shores is. And I thought it was a really cool idea. And I wanted to do something to push myself, to show that um, 
because I've got really, really severe anxiety, and I um, wanted to prove to myself that I can actually do things. And I've been scared about this all day, but I'm doing it, yeah. So that's exactly it. You're here, and you're doing it. I'm so proud that you're here, and you're doing it anyway. Because you know what? Really cool things can happen to us when we decide to say yes. And we decide to do the things that scare us. So kudos to you for、uh, showing us how it's done. So thank you for coming on and being here today. That's awesome. So we're talking about Red Dead Redemption today, which is super cool. I had such a fun time talking about Red Dead for the first time with、uh, which stood on Rocky Shores a couple months ago. I got a good education from him, I think, about Red Dead Redemption, which was really cool because I've never played the game. You're miles ahead of me, autistic writer, because you've been playing for a couple years now. I'm curious, how did you get into this game and this fandom, and what are your favorite things about it? I can't remember where, but I saw a, a list of games that were recommended, and Red Dead Redemption Two came up on the list. I wasn't sure if I wanted to play it because it's made by Rockstar, and I didn't enjoy Grand Theft Auto Five very much. But、um, I, I gave it a try anyway because、um, Red Dead Two is a prequel, so I played that one first, and I absolutely loved it. I later played Red Dead One, and I also loved that. But Two's my favourite. That's so cool. Now tell me why Red Dead Two is your favourite. It runs on a different engine because it was made eight years later, so the graphics are amazing and the world is massive. Not as big as like Grand Theft Auto V's map, but you get around that with cars and helicopters, whereas you get around、um, Red Dead Two's map with horses. So it doesn't feel small, even though it is smaller. And it's so, just such a beautiful game. Not in terms of what you do in it, because what you do in it is mostly murder. There's a lot of shooting people, but、um, the setting itself is lovely. Even things like your guns are beautifully made and. Stuff like that, even when it gets gory. Oh, yeah. So you're talking about.、Um, I don't want to use the word graphics per se, but you're just talking about visually. The game is just—it sounds stunning, you know. It is. It looks beautiful. It's been out for over four years now, but it still looks brilliant. But、um, even beyond that, the、um, real thing that kept my attention, because obviously it looks beautiful. But I stayed playing it because the story is amazing. The characters are really well written and very well acted, and the story is just intriguing, and you want to keep playing to find out what happens. I think that's the hallmark of a really great game when they have a really compelling storyline and really complex characters. And that's one thing that I think I can say about Red Dead without knowing too much about it. The exposure that I've had to Red Dead so far really makes me feel like these characters, specifically, are extremely complicated and complex in a really interesting way. Yeah, the main character Arthur is obviously what he does is controlled quite heavily by the player, but he's still got such a personality which、um, really shines through when you watch cutscenes and things. Oh, that's awesome! You have to tell me who is your favorite character in Red Dead. Saying this is the sort of thing that will get you shot dead on a Tumblr, but my favorite character is the main villain of the game, Micah Bell. 
Micah Bell. See, I was hoping you were going to say that because I have so many questions for you about Micah Bell. Your fan fiction was my first real close exposure to Micah Bell's character. When I was talking to Which Stood on Rocky Shores last time about Red Dead Redemption, I do recall that he mentioned Micah Bell a couple of different times. And if I remember correctly, I believe that he called Micah one of the worst characters in the entire game as far as like evil, villainous type characters, you know. And he even suggested that Micah might be one of the only characters in the whole game who is unredeemable. (laughs) Does that sound about right? Yeah, definitely. He's awful. I hated him on my first playthrough, and you're meant to hate him. His actor, Peter Blomquist, does an absolutely amazing job with Micah. He's just such a scumbag. But when I played again, I paid much more attention to optional conversations with him and learned that he isn't actually a 2D cutout of a villain. I mean, don't get me wrong, he's awful. He's bigoted. He betrays people all the time. He kills because he likes it, whereas most of the characters kill because they've got no choice. But you can learn about his past and learn that his um, father was most likely abusive. His brother left the outlaw life and hates him and won't talk to him anymore because he doesn't want him to ruin the new life he's created. Micah is just completely nihilistic and doesn't really see any point in life whatsoever other than to just do what you like and then you die. (laughs) He's actually very interesting. Wow! So it sounds like you were able to dig really deep with Micah and realize that, like you said, he's not a caricature of a villain if you really look deep. But it sounds like he's this complex person. Yeah, he's still awful, and it's not an excuse for anything he does, but I think it makes a villain more interesting if they've got an actual personality rather than just, I'm a bad guy and I do bad things. Right, right. You know, they say that it's a very interesting thing to get to know your enemy on a deep personal level like that because you start realizing things about the other person. Like you said, it doesn't excuse what they do because we all have a choice on how we deal with our past and our personal issues, but it can be very interesting to kind of realize what might lead a person down that path in the first place, you know? Yeah. So set the stage for me here a little bit because I think I want to know a little bit more about Micah. I gathered from your fan fiction some of the things that you've already said. You know, he's had a rough life. It sounds like he had a really rough childhood. He had an abusive father and a brother who more or less abandoned them. So Micah definitely has issues that way. Are there other things that you could tell us about Micah or his past? You can find a newspaper clipping in the game because there's a lot of environmental storytelling where you can find newspaper clippings and things that tell you stuff about the world. You can find a clipping from 1877 of when Micah was 17, him and his father murdered a couple of ranchers, split their throats and hung them up in their barn, which is a pretty fucked up thing to bring a 17-year-old along with to do. 
I don't think he ever stood a chance of escaping that life, you know? If you're already doing double homicides at 17. Right, right. And it makes you wonder what things he was exposed to even before that in his very early formative years. He talks about his father sometimes, but he never mentions his mother. So I think she died when he was very young. Obviously, his father is a nasty person, so it's not going to do your kids any good being raised by a single parent who doesn't really want to have the kids. Right. And sometimes when you are raised by somebody like that, it makes you form very interesting opinions about yourself and about the way that you see the world. You know, you're shaped as a person a lot by the people around you who raise you when you're that young and that impressionable. Oh, yeah. Micah's definitely like that. What Something he says a lot is that he's a survivor. He'll justify anything he does to fuck anyone over by saying, like, I'm a survivor. I do these things so I can live. He also mentions at one point his father told him sympathy is for the weak. And he treats people who he considers weak very, very badly. So I think it was very much a dog-eat-dog sort of childhood. And he's just grown up into this apathetic jerk who um, doesn't care about anything because nobody ever cared about him. I was just about to ask you that question. Do you think in Micah's whole life that he ever had anyone tell him that he loved him? His brother... You can find a letter from his brother telling Micah, never talk to me again. If you come near me, I'll shoot you. But his brother, Amos, does mention in the letter that he loves him, but he's like, stay a hell away from me and my family. I don't want you in my life anymore. And which means, obviously, that Micah wrote to Amos first for him to get that letter. So um, he obviously did want some sort of contact with his brother. But his brother was like, fuck off. Oh, and how sad is that, though? I can just imagine Micah being the type of person that doesn't really let anybody get too close. But he has this brother that he feels close enough to reach out to. And what does his brother do? You know, like you said, he's just kind of like, uh, fuck off, Micah. Like, how devastating is that? That the one person you felt like you had some sort of emotional connection to doesn't want you in their life. Micah just kind of strikes me as the type of person that tries to push everybody away because it's easier not to get emotionally attached or involved with other people than it is to let them in and then have them reject you later. Yes. I'm not sure if it makes it better or worse, but um, Micah is almost certainly the oldest son because that's how that naming thing works, right? You name your firstborn son after the father. So Micah must be the oldest out of him and Amos. Oh, so he's the oldest. And you know, that probably meant that at some point he may have felt a lot of responsibility over Amos. Definitely. Oh, and that's so tough. That's so tough sometimes as the oldest, because sometimes as the oldest, you have to do things to protect your younger siblings that make you the bad guy. It takes a really long time for them to understand that sometimes, if they ever do understand it. So in some ways, I bet that was even more isolating for Micah. Yeah, probably. Oh, I know he's the villain. I know. But mm, that kind of like hurts my heart a little bit for him. I'm just saying. That's exactly how I ended up liking him. 
Right. You got to know him a little bit. You got to know him. And that, you know, that's natural. I think when we get to know people, we start feeling, I don't know, some empathy and compassion for them as a person, you know, even though we don't excuse what they do. Right. Can't excuse that. But um, it can help us understand, I think, where they're coming from and who they are and how they ended up where they are. So let's talk about your series. We're going to talk about your Fatherhood Verse series today. Why don't you go ahead and tell us a little bit about what this series is about and where the idea for this series came from? The series title comes from the name of the first story I wrote for the series called Fatherhood and Other Nightmares. And the title is a play on a mission from Red Dead Redemption 2 called Fatherhood and Other Dreams which I thought was smart because I struggle with naming stories. And then when I wanted to write more things about that universe, I called it Fatherhood Verse and kept everything together. It's in chronological order for the story progression, not when I wrote it, if that makes sense. But yeah, the, the whole thing spawned from fatherhood and other nightmares. Because I like writing wump, you know, stuff where you just fuck characters up because it's fun. I think we should have Rocky Shores mentioned that he'd written some of his stories in his series for Wumptober, which I was doing as well, which is a month dedicated to writing stories where you hurt characters. But you do it because you like them, not because you want to kill them off because you hate them or anything. Exactly, exactly. The Wump is done with love. Yeah. I was wanted to write a story where I hurt Micah because I like doing that. And I came up with this idea of, someone from his past returning and he hates them so he kills them but then his gang only hear half the story and they think oh Mike has been trigger happy and murdering innocent people again but they don't know why he did it or why he hated this person so much and it's because they'd hurt him in the past and I was thinking about how there is no way in hell that you could redeem Mike in the game he's irredeemable and I was thinking of a way that I could redeem him might be to put a kid into his life and he decides that he wants to break the cycle of abuse that happened with him and that could be a way that he becomes a better person so it then spawned into what if the kid came from what that person did to him in the past as in formed when he was raped and that's why he freaks out so badly about meeting this kid I mean, that sounds pretty horrible, doesn't it? <laughs> Meeting a child nine years later who's a living memory of the worst thing that's ever happened to you. So he doesn't take it well, but eventually he starts to become closer with the kid, and that was the whole idea of that story. That's a perfect summary. I really, really loved what you just said about Micah's being irredeemable, right? Because one of the things that I find so magical about fan fiction is fan fiction lets us take things wherever we want, right? There are no limits. There are no rules. We can just write whatever story we want to write and explore whatever we want to. So the game may say, that Micah Bell is irredeemable. And that might be true in canon, but it doesn't have to be true with fan fiction. And that's what I love about it, is it lets us ask those philosophical questions. So I feel like in this series, you as a writer were asking the question, what would it take 
for Micah to change as a human being? What would it take to redeem this person? You came up with this creative scenario and you ran with it. And it was so interesting to watch. It's this very emotional journey. It was for me. I read it in order. Of course I did. It starts out with the worst thing that ever happened to Micah Bell with the assault and how devastating that was for him. For nine years, it seems like he internalized that and really just thought, man, I'm the worst person in the world. That's so awful that something like this happened to me and it's because I'm weak and it's because there's something wrong with me. And he was so terrified of his father finding out and he didn't tell anybody When that happened to him, he kept it to himself for nine years. Can you imagine carrying that around with you for nine years? Yeah, he was fully prepared to take it with him to the grave. But then obviously she walks back into his life out of nowhere. And he was sort of forced to come to terms with everything that had happened. Right, right. Because it turns out that a child was born out of this assault. And so all of a sudden, he's confronted with reality that he's a father, that he has this child, he has a son. And so that was so interesting to watch, because that child really is the crux of that what if question, what would it take? to redeem Micah Bell. And it turns out what it takes is the presence of this child, this child who needs a parent, because you're right, Micah kind of freaks out and he ends up killing the woman that did this horrible thing to him. So she's not in the picture anymore. And she was all that this kid had. The kid, his name is George, by the way, for everybody out there. George is Micah's son. And George's mom, that was all that he had. So when Mike kills the mother, all of a sudden, the kid needs someone to take him in, right? The kid needs someone to be his parent. And the only someone there is Micah. What do you do with that? He doesn't want to do it. He tries to leave George behind. And the guy he's with, Lenny, is like, "Uh, no, we're taking him back to the gang. You idiot, we're not leaving him here. Micah never wanted George around, but um, he was forced to spend time with him. Yeah, it was so interesting to watch Micah react to this whole scenario and the way that he interacted with his son at the beginning, because, of course, he's very upset. I mean, that would be very upsetting. I understand just from a practical point of view that that would be very upsetting to find out nine years later that you have a kid. You know, it's funny because I get the impression from reading your fan fiction that Micah knows. He knows full well that he's this horrible person. He's not under any delusion that he's like the good guy in this scenario. You know, he knows that he's a villain and he knows that he's like a bad person. And he kind of says in several parts of this series, I never wanted to be a father. He had such a terrible relationship with his own father And he just never wanted to have kids, never wanted to be a dad, never wanted that responsibility. He knows he's a bad guy. And so it was just so interesting to watch him in the first few parts of your series where he has to interact with George for the very first time, how vehemently he does not want it, you know? So he finds all of these excuses not to interact with George, you know? Like, I think he spends so many parts of this series pretty much just drunk off his ass after they find George, you know, because Mike is just like, I cannot deal with this. 
Yeah, there's no therapy or anything, so the only thing he can think to do is get drunk. He's a massive insomniac, so getting drunk helps him sleep. Obviously, it's not something you should do, but um, it works for him because it's the only option he's got. Right. Yeah, that's pretty much the only option that you had back then is uh, you could alter your state of consciousness <laughs> or you could run away. And thankfully, Micah doesn't choose to do that. He doesn't run away from the gang once George is there. Um, he does stay, but he does end up drunk and out of it for uh, several parts <laughs> of this series, which was very interesting because obviously, you know, he's avoiding interacting with George. But I thought it was very sweet because, you know, George is I think he's he's eight years old, right? In this yeah. series, he's eight. Yeah. So, you know, eight years old is that age where they can start doing a lot of things on their own. You know, they're not like a little baby or a toddler, but an eight-year-old still needs a lot of care and a lot of guidance. And so George does need those things very badly, right? And George is just fascinated with the idea that he has a father and his father's alive. And right now, his father, Micah, is the only person that he has in his life because his mom's dead. She's gone. And so George instinctively knows that he needs this relationship with his father to work. And he's just an innocent little eight-year-old. He doesn't know anything about Micah's past, right, or anything like that. So it was interesting to watch George try in little fits and starts to interact with his dad. It was sad to watch because Micah's not having it. But George just sort of put himself out there several times trying to get Micah to interact with him. George didn't have... Obviously, he didn't have his father around, and he had a really bad relationship with his mother. It sounds strange to say, because he saw Micah murder his mother, but Micah's the lesser of the two evils, in that he may be a horrible person, but he's never hit him, for example. So he, he was scared of his mother, and in a dark way that makes him very ashamed to think of, he's kind of glad she's gone. I think at one point, he has the conversation about that with Arthur, because Arthur knows what it's like for your abusive parent to die and you be racked with grief because they've gone and they're your parent. But at the same time, you're glad they're gone, which then makes you feel guilty that you're glad that your parent's gone and it's this cycle. And he talks to Arthur and learns that he's not a monster. It's just a very bad situation and he's coping with it the only way he knows how. Yes, I loved that conversation in this series because you are exploring very complicated emotions that are very true emotions. I've talked to so many people who have had really complicated relationships with their parents and then the parents pass away and you do end up feeling very complicated emotions over that because I think that there's always this little part of you that loves your parent and feels connected to them in some way, even if they were horribly abusive. And it can sometimes be very complicated to realize like, oh, yeah, I do feel that. Why do I feel that when they were so terrible to me? And sometimes you do think that there's something horribly wrong with you, you know. And so it was just really sweet that Arthur took the time to talk one on one to George about that and let him know, hey, you know, I know that this is a very complicated situation for you and it's okay that you're feeling complicated and contrary emotions at the same time. You can feel two things at once and they can both be true. Yeah. 
Yeah, it was so, so interesting. I loved watching George and Micah grow closer little bit by little bit. I loved how in this series, you did not have Micah and George grow closer all of the sudden, all at once. You made this very realistic in the sense that you show us how slow the process was, that it was a coming together bit by bit by painful little bit. And I thought that that was so cool, how realistic that was. It's not necessarily linear either. Like at the end of Fatherhood and Other Nightmares, they hug. But then a couple of stories later, Micah yells at George and makes him cry. So, you know, they, they get a little bit close and then Micah ruins it and then he has to apologize. And it's kind of like um, up and down as it goes. Yes, yes, it's not linear. And I think that's part of what made this so compelling and realistic for me, because in real life, a situation like this would not be linear at all. Because, yeah, you take two steps forward and then three steps back and then four steps forward and five steps back. And that's just the way that real life is, especially when you're dealing with a character like Micah Bell, who never wanted to be a father in the first place. And he has no freaking idea what he's doing whatsoever, right? He's so afraid of turning into his father and being a horrible parent to George. Interestingly enough, he's self-aware enough to know that he has the capacity to make so many mistakes with George as a brand new father. And it's very interesting to me that he, at least on some level, does not want to be his own father. He doesn't want to make the same mistakes with George that his father made with him. And I thought that that was a very interesting choice for Micah to realize that the things that his father did to him really affected him, even as a grown adult. And he does not want to pass that along to his own son. And I thought that that was really interesting that he makes that choice. Oh, and then the other thing that I just really loved about this is... um there's a part in here in one of the sections where Micah and George realize that they have some things in common that I think really help to draw them in closer as far as their um, father-son relationship, because Micah divulges to his son George that he prefers men. He likes men. And then George talks about his experience as a trans person. And so they both have these interesting experiences of being different and being afraid of those differences and having to hide those things from other people and having to keep those things inside internally. And I just thought that that was really powerful, that they were both able to have that conversation with each other and they were both able to have that mutual understanding of what that's like. Yeah, it's a moment of massive vulnerability because George is crying his eyes out at the time. And Micah has no idea how to calm him down because George thinks the gang are going to kick him out because they've just found out that he's trans. And Micah is flailing for a way to try and explain to the kid that they won't get rid of him. And eventually he's, he's basically like, OK, maybe I sort of know how you feel because I'm also different too. And he's never told anyone before. And George realizes how they've actually got something in common because they were both hurt by the same person for the same reason. 
in completely different ways, obviously. But um, George's mother would beat him because she wanted him to be a girl. And she obviously assaulted Micah because she wanted him to be straight. And um, neither of them worked. George is still trans and Micah is still gay. Which makes both of them realise that even if she did try to fix it in different ways, she can't fix it because we're not actually broken. And they both come to a sort of an understanding that they're both different, but that's okay. Yeah, and I'm so glad that you explored that with the two of them because it was this really powerful moment. I felt like that was a real turning point for them. And it was just really interesting to see where they progressed from there because I think by the end of the series, you can definitely see that there's this bond there between Micah and his son George that wasn't there at the beginning of the series. So you see a lot of really beautiful progression there. And I think that you do see some happy endings for Micah towards the end with him and Arthur too, which were really gratifying to see. I really, really enjoyed those pieces too. The other thing that I just wanted to mention real quick, I really enjoyed the different way that you imagined the relationships of the members of this gang. Because in the other Red Dead fan fictions that I've read, I've obviously read other stories that have different interpretations of the gang and how they interact. And I feel like you imagined something different and something better. And the reason I say that is um, it was really interesting to watch Micah's interactions with the other members of this gang, particularly Dutch. In the last uh, episode we did with Red Dead, which stood on Rocky Shores, talked a lot about Dutch, about how terrible Dutch is and awful. And I believe it. In canon, he kind of sounds like this horrible person, you know, not very cool at all. But in your fan fiction, I felt like he was different. You had a different interpretation of him, or at least you imagined a world where, I don't know, the gang seemed to pull together around Micah and George, and they really held space for them to process the things that had happened to them and to work through those challenges in a way that was really supportive, like surprisingly supportive. You know, I actually wasn't really expecting that when I went into this series. I wasn't really sure how the other members of the gang were going to react to all of this new information that they're finding out about Micah and about his son. But I feel like you imagined this world where the gang is more like a like a family and they take care of each other. And they certainly did their best to take care of Micah and George here in this situation. And I really enjoyed reading about that. Thank you. In canon, the gang are quite a lot like a little family. Obviously, Dutch is difficult and becomes progressively worse throughout the game until he turned into an outright villain in Red Dead 1. And I have written stories where Dutch is absolutely the worst. But um, the gang, even before Dutch completely loses it, the gang are in canon a lot like a little family. They sing songs around the campfire when something happens to Jack, the child. Everybody goes absolutely mental trying to protect him. So it was quite easy to imagine how they would react with another kid in camp because all of them, Micah aside, treat Jack really well. So I think they would have been good with George and they would have wanted to protect him too. And when everyone realizes how screwed up Micah is by the situation, they um, 
they try to help, which surprises him. They don't like him, but at one point, someone says to him, well, we're part of the same gang, and even if we don't like you, we look out for each other, because that's what we do. Yeah, well, I'm really glad that you took the time in your story to really highlight that and talk about that, because it was really interesting to just see, like, wow, this group of outlaws, like, They're actually being really supportive here and really kind and just holding space for these two people in their camp who need some help and some assistance. So I I thought that that was really, really cool. Were there any favorite lines or scenes from this series? Did you have any favorites? There's a scene from a story called Papa, which is very hard to say with a British accent, but, you know, Papa, as in like, pa, but for a father where um, Micah had made George cry and he's like reluctantly hugging George. He tells him, I'm going to mess this up a lot, but I want to be better than him. And then George says to him, if you're already saying all this, then aren't you already better than him? And it nearly makes Micah cry. And George has absolutely no idea. And then Micah bites his lip to keep himself from freaking out. And it's like, Thanks, that means a lot. And George is still like, I have absolutely no idea why you're reacting this way, but you're welcome. (laughs) Because it really touches Micah that George said that he isn't like his dad. Oh, I loved that scene too, because it seems like George has this special ability to draw things out of Micah. And George has this ability to touch parts of Micah internally that nobody else can do. That's partly what makes the difference here with Micah. That's why George is so pivotal to Micah changing and redeeming himself a little bit and becoming a different person because George is able to touch those parts of him that nobody else can. And I thought that that was really powerful. I liked that part too. He's got a protective side that he didn't realize he had because he's never actually tried to care for anyone. But he discovers how protective he is of George, and he will go. In one story, George gets bothered by some rival gang members in town, and Micah's totally normal reaction is to shoot them all in the head, grab George and run, rather than just defuse the situation and walk away because he's so worried about them hurting his kid. He's not a good person by this point. He's still a bad man, but he's a bad man who will kill you to protect his kid. Right, exactly. You know, still doing the wrong things, but for the right reasons. It was just really, really interesting. Really interesting to see Micah's progression here and really interesting to see him learn those things about himself that he didn't even know. And how cool is that? Because I feel like that is so true of all of us. We are constantly learning new things about ourselves that we didn't know before. That's so, so true. He's 39. He's not a young man, but he's, you can see in, in the gang that he's quite emotionally immature, probably because he spent most of his life on his own, and he doesn't really talk to people particularly well. So even though he is middle-aged, he's um, trying to learn things for the first time, like, what the hell, why am I so protective of this kid? Yeah, it really shows that old dogs can learn new tricks after all, huh? I love that. That's so, so cool. So correct me if I'm wrong, but as I was reading this series, I think I counted 19 parts, right? Yeah. 
Okay, perfect. That's what I thought. There are 19 parts of this series. So it's not a, a tiny little thing. There are 19 different stories up that are a part of this series, which is super, super cool. What is the most surprising or interesting thing that you've learned so far writing this series? And did writing the series change the way that you approach writing fan fiction in general? In terms of things I've learned about myself, I've been very surprised by how um, long I've managed to keep my focus going. I started writing the series in July of last year, and my attention span isn't great, so usually I drop things quite quickly. And I'm also surprised by how much I've actually managed to write. It's 80-something thousand words now, I think. Obviously, it's not one story, but the, the word count overall is pretty much the longest thing I've written. I think. And in terms of um, writing, because it takes place over two different time periods, I needed to write a more detailed plan with a timeline to stop myself getting confused. And I never used to plan in a very detailed way, but now I've become very attached to this idea of writing like a more detailed plan, which has completely changed the way that I um, write my stories now. But I prefer it. It helps me keep my focus on things and I don't forget stuff as much. I was just about to ask that if writing a plan helps you to stay focused. Because yeah, writing from July up until recently, that's a long time to stay focused on a series like that. So I think that's really cool that you learned that writing down that plan can help you with that focus. Yeah. Thank you so much for sharing that with us. We're coming up to the end here. Did you have any other fan fiction writers that you wanted to shout out on the podcast? Yeah. These people are writers who I've become quite good friends with. First is Jupiter Cosmos, or Cosmos, I'm not sure how you pronounce that, who wrote one of my favourite stories about Micah's backstory, a story about him and Amos, which is really good and very tragic. Then um, Nizzy Sam, who writes lots of Micah and Arthur in a relationship, the ship name is Morbell, which is my favourite in Red Dead, so I really like reading her stories. And Skelos Badlands has written several gifts for me, Morbell stories, and comments on my writing a lot. And in a very roundabout way, which stood on record, because he reads everything I write and is the main reason I came on this podcast to begin with. That's so awesome. Thank you so much for sharing those. We'll make sure that they get up on the show notes so people can check those out. Autistic Rider, thank you so much for being brave and for coming on the show today and for talking to us about Red Dead Redemption and about your amazing fan fiction series. We really appreciate you coming on today. Thank you. Check out their stories on AO3 and give them some love. You can find the Fanfic Maverick online at fanficmaverickpodcast.com, on Tumblr at fanficmaverickpodcast, on Instagram and Twitter at fanficmaverick, and I can always be reached at fanficmaverick at gmail.com. Thank you all so much for listening. Don't forget to subscribe, and I will see you next episode. In the meantime, keep on rolling. Rolling.